Um, let's all turn to Mark's Gospel in chapter 13, which I shall read in just a moment. If you don't have a Bible with you, then it will come up on the screen uh, behind me, as well as other references from time to time that we look at through the course of the next uh, 40 minutes. We'll see how we go. Right, I'm going to read the whole chapter. Big chunk today. Here we go. It says this. As he was leaving the temple, one of the disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones. What magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings? Replied Jesus. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. And as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down or enter the house or take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those will be days of distress, unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, if that were possible. So be on your guard. I've told you everything ahead of time. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now, learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. 
No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. So as we've arrived here in our series in Mark's Gospel, uh, for some time now, the, the focus has been in and around the temple. Uh, Jesus entered Jerusalem in chapter 11, and the next day he went to the temple, and since then he's been... Uh, Often he's been teaching large crowds of people. He's been answering uh, the hard-hearted questions of his critics. Um, And we noticed last time how in the temple he was there, he saw uh, the widow and how she gave just two very small copper coins into one of the temple treasuries. Now, as they're leaving the disciples, uh, no, now as they're leaving the temple, uh, the disciples ask him this, this question. Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Now, Jesus has overturned the tables. Jesus has brought judgment on the temple. Um, Yet for the disciples, it's still really, I suppose, the, the center or the focus of their identity and their, uh, their faith, a place of such uh, importance. And it was... Pretty impressive. So when it says, look at these massive stones, these stones may have been in excess of, of one stone was in excess of 20 feet in length. Um, and something not too dissimilar in height. They were absolutely massive. Uh, the temple area took up a huge uh, proportion of the city itself. Um, so we could understand that they are impressed by it. And Jesus makes this prediction. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As this passage unfolds, Jesus is talking about the time to come when that temple that Herod was still constructing at this point, that temple would be uh, destroyed and thrown down. And that took place in AD 70. So, a few years after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, and only a few years after Mark's gospel in all likelihood was written, this is what happened to Jerusalem. The tension between the Roman Empire and the Jewish people grew and grew and grew um, to the point where uh, Roman authorities marched on Jerusalem lay siege to Jerusalem um, and then overcame all their defenses and utterly destroyed uh, the temple that Herod uh, was constructing. So understandably, Jesus' prediction gets the disciples' attention. So when they're sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple later, they ask him a question about it. As the passage unfolds, what we see is Jesus is talking about 
what's going to happen in just a few years when the temple is destroyed. Um, But he's also then talking about his own return and the end of the age. It's as if if you're stood at some distance from a, a vast mountain range, you would see all the, the you'd see a few mountain peaks on a clear day, and it can appear like two mountain peaks are right next to each other. They're in close proximity, and there's an obvious connection. They're part of the same range. If you climb up one of those mountain peaks, you might realise that the second mountain peak is actually some distance away. But from our initial uh, perspective down in the foothills somewhere, it looks like they're right next to each other. There's that kind of effect here. There's a comparison. Um, We can understand in this passage that the events of AD 70 and those days of massive distress for Israel and people living in Jerusalem especially foreshadow other days of huge distress that will come in the build-up to the end of the age. So if we can keep that in mind as we go through. Now, obviously, the disciples, like I said, their attention is grabbed by this, and they ask two, two pertinent questions, I suppose. When's this going to happen? And also, they ask, what are the signs that this is about to take place? As we go through, I think Jesus is tackling those two questions, but perhaps he's also answering a third uh, a better question than when. And sometimes in regard to thinking about the end of the age, we can think, well, when's it going to happen? When will it be? Uh, well, Jesus arrives at answering, answering that. But a better question to consider is how? How should we live in the light of what will one day come? And uh, if you are uh, in your midweek small group, and there's a few people there who didn't make it on Sunday. I said, what was it about? Well, it was about Mark chapter 13, but don't worry, it's not the end of the world. Or if someone is now listening to this message on the internet, then it's not yet come. So how do we live in that gap? It's a bad preacher's joke, but I thought I'd still try and squeeze it in. I got some more where that came from, and if I polish it up for the 3.30 congregation, Terry will get hold of it, and then he'll tell all of us again in a few weeks' time. Um, Anyway, (laughs) Jesus answers the disciples' second question first. What? What are the signs? What's going to happen? And Jesus mentions, well, broadly speaking, four pretty unpleasant signs of the end coming. I'll go through those uh, firstly. Um, Number one, false messiahs, false Christs, and also false prophets, people claiming to be the saviour. So Jesus says in verse 5, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. Later on in verse 21, at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, if that were possible. So here's one uh, uh, bad happening, and we can see it elsewhere in Scripture, for example, in 1 John uh, chapter 2. And verse 18, 
John writes there, Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. Speaking there, uh, really of the same uh, people or, or the same individual, the, the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. People claiming to be Christ. And there are probably men alive right now across the world gathering uh, a following to themselves, um, claiming this uh, very thing. And we may be aware of, of some in the past that have made such uh, claims. Uh, in 1 John 2, Antichrist, we can, mean, we can think it means straight away, the anti bit means uh, against, speaking against Christ. And we'd spot that a mile off. Um, rather than meaning against, it means instead of. So people or an individual setting themselves up uh, and instead of Christ. You don't need Jesus, you need me or you need what I stand for. I'm here and I can save the day. All you need to do is trust in me. That's the, that's the spirit of the Antichrist. Or if we're putting our faith in Jesus, that's what he says to us. We need to understand that rightly. So false messiahs will come. Secondly, there'll be uh, increased uh, conflict and on a variety of scales. So in verse 7 and 8, we're, we're told there, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be uh, conflict uh, on a global scale, increasing. Also, we notice in verse 12, there'll be conflict at the level of a family. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents, and will have them put to death. Another kind of very grim, grisly hallmark of the last days, an indication that uh, the end is not far away. Third, unpleasant, bad sign, bad thing happening are uh, natural disasters. And so we see that in verse uh, 8, as well as nation rising against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famine. Famine. So the, the world itself is in a great tension. Uh, we see this in Romans 8. See, it's described in Romans 8, verse 22 uh, as well. Paul writes there, We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. The, the universe itself is in tension and, and, and wants to be redeemed from this uh, time of, of, of disaster and conflict. Uh, described as the beginning of birth pains, which is always a dangerous area for guys to start talking about as if they really know anything. Um, but I'll still say something <laughs> to be corrected later on. No, um, I, I remember for a long time I, I kept a small piece of paper um, 
where uh, on, on, for, for one of uh, our, our children's birth, we just, I, I jotted down, it's like, what can I honestly do that's helpful? I don't know. So I'll just jot down the time and the duration of each contraction. And I kept that piece of paper for a little while. And, ah, oh, five minutes and a six-minute gap. And then she hates me if she wants to kill me. That's fine. It's, uh, so you've got... Now, in between, we were watching Scooby-Doo. We were watching a film. But in the knowledge that another contraction is coming, um, another wave of intense pain. And there's something of that which the whole world is going through. There can be times when where we're actually, everything seems to be reasonably stable. The world seems to be in a moment of calm and peace. But another wave will come. And sometimes we we know that when we see natural disasters, often one after another uh, reported uh, in the media. And, uh, you know, we can kind of go through those kind of waves of, of just being incredibly concerned and overwhelmed and we want to give towards um, NGOs and other organizations that are helping people in absolute crisis and then the crisis seems to abate. Oh, everything's fine. But only for a while. And maybe we see that in other ways too, in, uh, in, a, in a political realm or in our own nation. Think, well, thank the Lord, Britain isn't right on the edge of some tectonic plates that way beneath the surface of the earth are, are kind of crunching against each other and, and creating huge tension that creates earthquakes or volcanoes. Um, I think I can remember uh, an earthquake taking place um, that Sheffield felt in the middle of the night, this tiny, tiny, tiny tremor. What are you doing? It wasn't me. It was just, you know, it, it was a loud, it's like a loud lorry driving past the house and it kind of, oh, that's interesting. Ah. Well, thank the Lord for a country that's not very hazardous. Although every now and again, we might get some big waves or some unpleasant high tides and that kind of thing. Um, the world itself is experiencing this great, this great tension. It's a sign of something, something coming, of, of something happening, um, but brings great uh, pain on the earth. The fourth thing that's mentioned that signs... Um, of the end times is persecution. In verse 9, we're told, You must be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you'll stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And just a little bit later on, uh, in verse 13, we're told, uh, All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. So there's a an unpleasant prediction, uh, a promise even, from Jesus. It's not going to be an easy ride. Now remember, this was, this was real to the disciples in their lifetime. Persecution, uh, increased conflict, being dragged before local uh, rulers and, and flogged and so on. All we have to do is turn to the pages of Acts and see it right there. And I'm sure that also was the case in the build-up to A.D. 70, but we're uh, being reminded here that those things flavor the last days which we're living in. Since Jesus' death, his resurrection and ascension, and his coming again, we can expect to anticipate um, false messiahs, increased conflict, natural disaster, and persecution. 
Well, is there any good news? Well, none of this shows that God's power or control over the universe is waning. This whole chapter affirms uh, the sovereign power uh, and strength of God, who Ephesians describes uh, ensures that all things conform to his purpose and his will. But this passage also speaks of four, uh, four other signs, four other ways in which God's activity is evident. And the first of those I want to just draw attention to in verse 10, and the gospel must first be preached to all nations. God wants every people group to have the opportunity to respond to the gospel. So if there are times when uh, you know, another wave hits of be it persecution or uh, natural hazards and great uh, upheaval in the nations, um, we can sometimes in our hearts and our, even say out loud, oh God, when are you going to come? When are you going to bring an end to it all? When are you going to bring the kingdom in its final completeness? When are we going to see that? Come Lord Jesus. If there is a delay, as we might notice there already has been, what accounts for that delay? It's this. That in his kindness and patience, God wants all people to come to repentance. If he doesn't come straight away, if he doesn't return this afternoon, if he doesn't come uh, and we see another, another time of, of, of huge disaster on a global uh, scale, why is that? Well, it's because God wants more people to have the chance to respond to the gospel. Just turning briefly to 2 Peter uh, chapter 3. It says there in verse 3, actually, you you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised? It seems to be be taking quite a while. Well, go down to uh, to verse 8 and 9 with me. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So we're to live in the light of that. The church is not to have uh, a kind of bunker mentality. It's really dark out there. Let's just form ever tighter and smaller circles of a holy huddle where we can kind of shut ourselves away from the world uh, not see what's going on. It, it hurts too much to, to look, and uh, we don't know how to handle it. We're just going to hide ourselves uh, away. Obviously, like a bunker um, was a, a construction that perhaps in a time of great conflict, um, people would hide away in. You don't need windows in a bunker. Um, but the church isn't to be like that. It's interesting. Um, where uh, we used to live as a family, observed over some time a, a Jehovah Witness Kingdom Hall being built. It was a new one. They had a building there, uh, an old building that was knocked down, and they then built a new, uh, a new building for their purpose. And it intrigues me, the decision they made in that building, to make really, really small windows. It's like, now I guess there's a zeal of sort amongst people in, in that cult, um, but a sense of, we don't really want people to look in on what's happening in here. 
and we don't really want to look out. Um, where we live now, there's a Christadelphian hall just down the road on the way to Waitrose to get the free coffee. Um, and the windows aren't small, but they're, always, they're, they're all obscured. You can't, you can't see in, and people can't really see out. And it's just struck me sometimes as, as odd. But I think it in part represents a, a bunker mentality. We don't really want to know what's going on and we want to keep what we're doing tucked away. And the Christian church can possibly sometimes behave like that. It's just an opportunity to say, how big, metaphorically speaking, are our windows? Engaging with the world outside, wanting our light to shine there and wanting them to be drawn in and involved in what's happening here. Kind of a transparency about this is who we are. This is what we believe. You know, the Jesus commission to his disciples was not run and hide. It was go and tell. So we think, oh, nation is rising up against nation. But yet, have another look and see the gospel must be preached in all nations. It's not causing us to shrink back into fear. This passage is not for us to take in that way at all, but to take encouragement that God has a plan. God has good news, and he's commissioned his people to herald it and go tell it and share it and be confident in it and to see it multiply in fruitfulness. So maybe the darkness does intensify. Well, let the light shine even more brightly as a result. So we see that the gospel must be preached. We see also the activity of the Holy Spirit speaking through those who are persecuted and accused in verse 11. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what, you, uh, about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time. For it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. A reminder here that God's people have not been left as orphans to face huge hardship um, alone by themselves. But we are to expect the real and active help of the Holy Spirit when we are encountering persecution. This is not a promise to help cover lazy preparation. Oh, don't worry. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to speak. Take it easy and watch Match of the Day. It's, it's when someone doesn't have the time because suddenly they've been arrested. Suddenly they've been accused. Suddenly they're brought before authorities and they're being asked to give an account for what they've said about Jesus. Don't worry. The Holy Spirit will be with you and he will give you the words to speak. He will speak through your words. So we might think, what's going on in the nations? Well, don't be alarmed. Be confident in the gospel. If we're personally involved in, in, in persecution, don't, don't, what, what amazing, what amazing encouragement. Don't worry about what you'll say. But I've just been arrested. I've been, I'm being brought before the highest authority in my workplace or in this nation. And sometimes we see on the TV when, when somebody prominent is brought before some government select committee and in front of the cameras and in front of a, a large panel of MPs, they are grilled for a few hours. You think, oh, oh that, that would be horrific. Yeah, but if we're there or in that kind of scenario because of our faith, the Holy Spirit is with us and he speaks through us. 
So don't be worried. Also, we see that days of distress get cut short. This is another example that, that God is in charge. If the Lord had not cut short those days, in verse 20, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. So God is a God who is in control. There may be times when evil appears to be running rampant, unrestricted, unrestrained. But it will be kept in check by the Lord Almighty. Let us not doubt who is in control. Let us not be intimidated. It's another fascinating and very practical encouragement in this passage in verse 18. Now, yes, it's in the context of dreadful days and, day, and times of great distress, but verse 18, pray. Pray that this will not take place in winter. Now, does that highlight to us the absolute horror of what was happening in AD 70 or what is to come? Well, perhaps it does. But perhaps it also reminds us we have a God who's in control. If we pray for something not to be in winter, God is able for it not to be in winter. Um, and, and in other ways besides, we can be confident in praying to a God who even in the midst of dark times controls the whole universe. Nothing catches him off guard. And fourthly, Jesus will return. In verses 26 and 27, at that time men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. He will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. Jesus' return will be obvious to all. The false Christs and the false messiahs have to try and persuade people and trick people because they come in an obscure way. Oh, look, there he is. Oh, here I am. But when Christ returns, it will be conspicuous and obvious to everyone. It will need no explanation. It will be a case of just realizing he's back. So we're not to be deceived by these false Christs uh, claiming to have returned in some secret way. Now we might read that and just think, well, is it just a warning for the gullible? You know, if I, want, if I bumped into somebody on the street, maybe slightly dis- disheveled, carrying a few pamphlets with them, and they tried to persuade me that they were Jesus, I think I'd know that they weren't. So who needs this uh, warning? Well, it, perhaps there will be a time coming when we will need to be sure that we are not being deceived by someone who may even be in a position to perform miraculous signs and miracles. Perhaps in the meantime, we need to be aware that for any of us, we can be thinking, all my troubles will be over when this happens or when that happens. Everything will be sorted then. In other words, we can put our trust in something or someone else as opposed to Jesus. So, Jesus answers the question, what are the signs? He also answers the question, when is the time? He does so with two pictures or two parables, uh, the fig tree and of a man going away. With a fig tree in verses 28 to 31, the lesson is this. When the, when the twigs get tender and the leaves come out, 
you know that summer is near. Apparently, in Palestine, it would be very quick at that point that the fig tree would, uh, uh, that summer would come as soon as those uh, twigs are tender and the leaves have come out. When you see these things happen, you know that it is near right at the door. So, whenever we see or are aware of false messiahs, increased conflict, whatever the scale, natural disasters and persecution, we can draw the same conclusion. The end is near. But also, in the second picture, we're told there's a man going away. And he assigns different tasks to his servants. And the picture of the point of that picture is to stress that no one knows about the day or hour, only the Father. In other words, when we see these things happening, the timing is near, but the timing is not known. Is this the end? Or is this a painful contraction? Those tectonic plates have shifted again, and thousands of people are displaced. Or another nation is rising up, another kingdom is, is in conflict What we're to do is to live in a state of readiness. The purpose of this passage is not to bring fear. It's also not to uh, just bring lots of speculation about when, when precisely it might take place. Believers throughout this, uh, throughout the age can be encouraged, motivated, sharpened by Jesus' teaching. He says three times, watch. Watch out. Keep watch. Actually, that's the first word he says in response to their questions. Watch, and it's the very last word he says. Therefore, I say to to you what I say to everyone, watch. It's like, be alert. Be with it. Don't be be a sleepy Christian. Be on your guard. I've, I've told you ahead of time. He wants to prepare us. He wants us to be a people of faith, to be a people on mission, a people who are prayerful, a people who are not easily knocked off track, the people who are expecting the powerful help of the Holy Spirit, the people who are not alarmed. Now we might be horrified by things that we see or are aware of, but don't be alarmed, do not worry, do not be deceived. Now are we likely to get distracted by speculating about when precisely Jesus will return? There are kind of waves of that through Christian history and and people start look at biblical prophecy and, and try to calculate precise dates and write it down and publish a book and all the rest of it and then have to explain why their first book wasn't right but they've just tweaked their calculations and now uh, they've got a better idea of this is the date and if it's not that date, it will be that date. I'm sure of it. Which is, quite frankly, a nonsense. Um, are we likely to be drawn into lots of speculating like that? I don't think so. I suppose there are equal and opposite dangers. One danger is we are, we're, we're overly focused, speculating, trying to guess when the end will come. The other danger is that we just don't think about it at all. Uh, it's not part of our, our conversation. It's not part of our thinking. Maybe we don't err that way. It's interesting what it says in Matthew 24, verse 12. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Are we, are we guarded in that sense? 
Are we fanning the flames of our passion for Jesus? Is it talking about love of God? Is it talking about love of neighbor? Is it talking about both? Perhaps. Is it talking about this this bunker mentality of just Christians closing down and shrinking in uh, on themselves? So maybe this is the time to consider, what are the tasks that God has assigned to me? What's important as far as God is concerned? Well, love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. And maybe there are some specific ways, some specific tasks, some specific responsibilities that he has assigned to us. Let's, let's be diligent. Let's be faithful. Let's keep watch. Let's not be caught sleeping with a, with a kind of what's the point attitude. Jesus wants his disciples not to be intimidated or alarmed or deceived or worried. He wants them to be prepared. I'm telling you ahead of time. Equip yourself, therefore, with, with the words of Jesus. What might a, a summary be? And, and with this, we just kind of come to a, a conclusion. A summary of this passage. One uh, commentator has suggested this. You focus on obedience to God and faithfulness and let God handle the end of the world. We're not called to run round in a panic. We're called to be a people of faith, people of mission, a people in love with God and loving, loving others, diligently doing what God has called us to do. Sometimes that may look and feel quite mundane in the workplace, in family life, in church life, in the community, amongst, amongst wider family members and people for whom you have a responsibility. But serve as though you're serving the Lord and, and bear all of this in mind. Be strengthened. Take, take to heart uh, Jesus' encouragements. His, his warnings aren't to scare us, they're to equip us. Uh, not to run and hide, but to go and tell. To have, as it were, kind of big windows in, in our hearts, in our lives, in what we're doing. We're concerned. We're wanting to involve. We're wanting to bless. We know what's happening to this world. We know what its future is. But we know there's a saviour who wants people to come to a knowledge of the truth. To come to repentance and to receive the best news ever. That's what we will be continuing to look at as we go through uh, the rest of Mark's gospel. Let's get a hold of it in Mark chapter 13 as well. Amen? Amen. Let's... uh, Let's worship God. I'll uh, just lead us in, in, a, in, in prayer and we'll sing in just a moment. Father God, when the very uh, world around us is being, uh, is being shaken, Lord, we want to be found to be those who have our eyes fixed on Jesus, the one who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the, the Almighty God of the whole universe. Lord, you've, you've rescued us, you've demonstrated your kindness and your patience in our lives by reaching to us, calling us out of darkness uh, into your light. And Father, we're thrilled to be a part of your uh, people and your plans and your purposes. Father, we want to have uh, big hearts for the world around us. Um, 
when darkness increases or at times when everything seems to be plain sailing. Father, whatever is going on in this nation or in all the nations of the world, Lord Jesus, we want to be a people worshipping you and seeing more people come to a saving knowledge of the truth. Father, I pray, maybe for, uh, I do pray, Lord God, for people in this room who are facing uh, dark and challenging times on account of their faith or on account of the uncertainties of life. Lord, I pray that through your word, by your Holy Spirit, a strength would come, uh, faith would be strengthened in a powerful, sovereign God who's present by the power of his Holy Spirit to enable us to live and to walk faithfully through uh, dark times and through the, through the unknown. Would you help us, Lord, to encourage one another with your word? Would you, would you help us when we're, we're praying for something that may just seem so terribly hard and dark? Lord, help us to lift our sights to the sovereign Lord who's seated on a throne above all things who hears our prayers and wants to do good to a world in darkness. In Jesus' name, amen.